1: Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, Tim Burrows brings us the idiot's guide to the TV network's financial results. Nine boss Mike Sneesby makes a big statement regarding the future of Stan and an in-depth look at whether journalists are hypocrites when it comes to reporting news, especially when they're making headlines. Welcome to the podcast where people in the industry get their news. This is TV Black Box.
4: This is
0: TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry.
1: Hello there, I'm Rob McNutt. Welcome to another week of TV Black Box where there's plenty to talk about, and the people doing the talking this week are TV presenter David Robbo Robinson. Hello, Robbo. Hello there. Hi, oh, morning. TV Black. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you what? No, I said this, hello, morning. I was, I was still <laughs> laughing at the TV presenter thing. I like. Yeah, no, no. Um, <laughs>
1: Hey, you've done it twice this year. Yeah. TV <laughs> Black Box producer Abby Mickelson is with us. Hello Abby.
3: Hello Rob. Hi everyone. I am recording in Aotearoa New Zealand tonight and so I just want to acknowledge the Tangata Whenua, which means I learned today, the people of the land of Auckland. Nice.
0: Good day.
1: Oh, uh, uh, and and Abby has been to the project over there. We'll get uh, an update on that throughout mm. the show. The viewers' advocate Steve Mulk is here. Hello Monk.
2: Hello, Rob, everyone. Good evening. I'm recording tonight on the land of the Dark and Jung Mob, uh, and I want to pay my respects to the Elders past present.
1: And our special guest is Tim Burrows from the Unmade Podcast. G'day, Tim.
5: Greetings from the land of the Palawa people, otherwise known as Tasmania. Where, if I seem to be talking over you, it's just because of my slow internet. But uh, gotta say, this is a big <laughs> dream come true for me. I never dreamed that one day I would get to hear live Malk and Rob bickering with each other. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> you can play
1: the referee We've not today. have begun. <laughs> You can have the whistle, call us out when we go too far. Now, Tim, the reason we've got you here is because Nine and Seven have released their financial results to the market. I've specifically asked you to come on the podcast to talk us through these. What do we need to know? What are the headlines?
5: Yeah, like Key things to, to bear in mind, I suppose one of them is what we're talking about is the last six months. So these aren't full year results. Um, sevens is probably slightly easier to pick apart than nines just because it's a simpler organisation. Effectively, it's a TV network. Whereas when you look at nine as an organisation, it owns radio as well. It owns publishing operations. But when you look at nine's numbers, yeah. then TV is still the most important bit. The definition of TV obviously has changed a lot. So we're not just talking about broadcast television these days, but streaming, both streaming live and catch up. Um, so I think the main things to point out still for both looking backwards, pretty good, and looking forward, the TV networks So everybody's getting nervous. The, that potential of certainly a downturn, maybe a recession, the way that advertising usually behaves in such situations is it's a forward indicator and in good times it's better and in bad times it's worse. So I think there's a bit of expectation of of bad times and, you know, you saw the sort of the, the kind of questions that that follow when the the analysts get to quiz the CEOs are always a good signal of what they're thinking about. And one of the things they're thinking about is have the TV networks in all of their big sports deals recently overpaid, and is that going to weigh them down over the next ten years or so? And that was a that was a really big question. But also just that question of um. You know, first seven, is the simplicity of not having a subscription streaming service a benefit or a hindrance? And the opposite way ran for nine, which, of course, uh, owns the streaming service Stan, which is expensive, but it's also a way into the future, potentially.
1: Yeah, yeah we'll touch on streaming in a moment because Mike Sneesby has said some very interesting things about streaming and content quotas. But from a headline point of view, are the networks strong financially?
5: They they are, and certainly stronger than they were. You know, if we were to point to a network where there was a big question, then in about 2000, certainly 2019, when James Warburton you know, was recently into the hot seat at seven, there was a real question about their debt levels and whether they would actually be able to cover them. So, you know, he'd been... The boss of 10 at just the wrong moment, really, and got all of his bad luck out of the way. Um, and really, <laughs> you know, he was the person who was the the, 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 the luckiest man in television when, um, a pandemic came along and meant that they got to save many of their sports costs. They got to defer a whole bunch mm. of costs. They got job keeper money and it was a chance to pay down some debt. So they came through stronger. So they both got, you know, debt levels, but it all looks under control. So, yeah, you know, you probably the only broadcaster you'd have to sort of, um, you know, look, look seriously at, um, on, on, on the ASX that's had big problems in the past, which is, still sort of, you know, I guess the question is um, actually Southern Cross Australia, Stereo, the regional uh, broadcaster, although these days, mm. again, they've got their debt under control as well. So I think most of them are probably well equipped to go, go through any coming recession. It's, um, if you're going to worry about anyone, you'd look overseas and worry about Netflix big debts to come, but that's a topic for a whole other time.
2: Uh, it, it, it really is, Tim. Thank you. Yes. Um, given that as you mentioned that, that there were obviously some questions from the analysts around the fact that the, the particularly seven and nine have thrown big money at some of these, you know, recent, uh, sports deals. Um, I would expect that both um, Sneesby and Warburton were feeling pretty buoyant about the fact that they've got them locked away for a long time, that they can build that whole, you know, uh, that part of their empire and and provide some surety to both their shareholders and advertisers. Were there other points of buoyancy for the CEOs around where they see their their respective businesses headed?
5: Yeah, I think for Sneesby, he was very keen to talk about Stan. Uh, one of the points he was making is that Stan Originals, you know, the, the kind of production and co-production mm. deals is, yeah, you know, he, he would see it as a point of difference versus other streaming services. But he was also making the argument that it's an efficient way to spend the network's money versus just buying mm. in some studio content from overseas because you know you get to own mm. this thing, you get to have a point of difference yeah. um, if you get it right with the content. So
2: that was probably and license the crap out of it overseas, right? Yeah,
5: exa- exactly that. So you know, often it's a kind of co-production deal, you know, where you know some you know, sometimes some Else is picking up some of that that tab. But if you own the whole thing, mm. absolutely, you know, you, you 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 pick a hit and away it goes. How does Channel 10
1: factor into what we get to know about them? They're owned by Paramount Global, obviously. Um, but they did do a reporting to the ASX a couple of years ago, and it was, I think it was something like a loss of 3.5 million. So it was very close, it was a line ball. But what are their obligations as far as reporting their profit loss?
5: Yeah, they do. You know, any company still has to file to, um, to, to, to ASIC over a certain size. So, as I understand it, um, Paramount on behalf of Ten haven't yet filed their 2020 accounts, but they'd be imminent. And then the 2021. Mm. My, you know, my understanding, and I've 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 seen it briefed in the market elsewhere, is. Um, they will show a profit in both of those years. Now, Mm. of course, one of the kind of controllable costs... Let's be
1: honest, they expected to show a profit in that year that they have reported. I think they were surprised they were at a loss because they were talking up the idea of a profit. So if they're showing one now, we wouldn't expect it to be a large profit, presumably.
5: Look, one of the things to bear in mind is one of the biggest controllable costs they've got is effectively the fee they pay back to paramount which happens to be the owner Mm. for the output deals out of paramount which is which which is one of those things that allows the company to kind of make a profit um the other thing of course is it's cut its costs quite deeply Mm. so i i you know so i you know (laughs) it, it almost becomes sort of a i suppose irrelevant because sometimes it's just a bit of an accounting trick on where you go to but certainly one of the things that did come
1: although the output deals are interesting from the point of view there was a case quite a few years ago where company a was selling to company b but they were the same company and one of the creators that had back-end profits sued them because they were underselling the product and not taking it to the open market so there can be dangers on that front
5: oh yeah you're completely yeah you you're completely right and of course you know you you have to be able to justify the price to the tax authorities as well and you know all mm. all, all of those things um and i suppose one of the you know, one of one of the financial realities for for ten that did come out of the process is because we have this zero sum game of seven versus nine versus ten, um, and everybody measures that share. Once you know nine's share and seven's share of the advertising market, you can work out 10's, even if they haven't reported themselves. And and you know, it, it, what it, are those shares? Well, not great. So for the second half of last year, very broadly nine landed on about 40 percent or just under mm. That's seven landed oh, wow. on about 40 percent or just under oh. and we can probably oh, wow. do the maths for 10 but about 20 percent oh. or so um yeah, well done well done Malt. you uh, you were first to get <laughs> your yeah, yeah, hand up on that A plus. one um, and and the other thing which you know has sort of since come out in the market is that January got even worse because, of course, uh, seven had the cricket, nine had the tennis, both well supported by mm-hmm. advertising. So I have heard it bandied around that 10's revenue share for January was 12%, um, which Oof, is wow. pretty tough to, to you know, to, to, mm. to run a network on. And, and you know, that's the, thanks to the bachelors. Yeah, yeah, look, that, that definitely wouldn't have helped. Although, yeah, one of the things you have to bear in mind is, of course, um, because of the way advertising is booked, it's often booked ahead of time. So some of it is about mm. the belief of the market and how a show will perform. Um, so I yeah. suspect it was more about confidence in cricket and tennis rather than necessarily right. sentiment about the show. But, of course, that follows next time around.
2: And, and also recognising that it is our summer. So while, you know, sport is very big on the Australian television landscape in that regard, we're not overly used to stripped reality or any kind of other entertainment there because we're all off having barbecues and, you know, not snowing in Los Angeles.
1: Although we've had I'm a Celebrity there for a few years now. Well, Nine's big boss, Mike Sneasby, says the well-intended proposed content quotas for streamers could force Dan to shut up shop. The federal government recently announced its plans to force Netflix, Disney+, Amazon Prime and other streaming services operating in Australia to spend a percentage of their revenue on the production of local content. Exact details will be announced after a consultation process with the industry has finished taking place. The laws would come into force by July 1 next year. Nine CEO says the move would also drive up production costs with bad consequences for the Australian media industry. Well, we talked on this podcast about these these ideas i was really supportive of them because i believed it leveled the playing field but talking to industry people this week i went sniffing based on sneezeby's comments and what i have found is that the local industry the local networks are very concerned because they're saying that if netflix disney plus amazon britbox whoever has to come and make local content all production costs go up. Not only are they spending overseas money, which so it's cheaper for them than the Aussie produ- production than the Aussie networks to make that product, but the talent is being used and so there, there there isn't enough talent to go around in the pool if Netflix are spending big money hiring editors and producers, mm-hmm. where does that leave the local productions?
2: I think it's a very short-term view to take that position. Uh, I agree, in the short term, there will be a shortage of, of people and all of those kinds of things. If in this glorious utopia we get to the point where there's lots of, you know, Australian-made productions happening in, in our landscape, uh, over a increasing period of time, it will provide more opportunities for more people to get into the market, for more writers to be able to have ideas pitched to do all of those sorts of great things. Absolutely, of course, Disney and Netflix bringing their American money over here are going to get all sorts of, you know, exchange rate benefits and that's before we even start talking about um you know funding incentives from governments that want to have them do their thing here and they get all money back on their dollars and all sorts of things everywhere. way so all of that makes it a little bit murkier and messier I, I think the the broadest concern that i have is that they're jumping up and out about the quotas idea again and just having a big cry over being being made to make television that we have for the longest part expected them to be making and with a relaxed or no quota environment, as has been proven, as I keep talking about when it comes to children's television, no one's making it mm. in a commercial te- in a commercial sense.
0: Why can't it be means tested? So obviously, if you've got uh, Stan, who's a hundred million dollars. Just making up a number, sure. uh, And Netflix is one billion dollars. Then Stan would not pay the same or not have the same kind of quotas. That I'm just speaking. That 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 is what they're talking about. Relative, yes.
1: It it looks like being based on whether it's uh, a percentage of their revenue. Yes. Uh, The Mm. the streamers are saying, make it a percentage of our profits. If you're going to do which they can all
2: still hide. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but. The, the key is, and Tim, you wrote an article at the time of this announcement warning about the unintended consequences for the networks using the streamers to try and get content quite as reduced because, Robert, what's happening here is that the networks, from what Tim's article said, and I'll let Tim explain it, Essentially, we're trying to get content quotas reduced. What the government has said is, no, we're not reducing content quotas. We'll make everyone have the same content quota. Tim, why don't you explain what you were talking about in that article?
5: Yeah, look, we we, we go back a, a little while, I suppose, to when the TV networks had those content quotas we were familiar with, for uh, you know, children's programming, news, local content, et cetera, et cetera, where they had to produce a certain number of hours per week, and... Um, And back then, the TV networks made the case that it's a bit unfair that the streamers would come along without the same responsibilities. And, you know, Kerry Stokes, the proprietor of Seven, even argued at that point that maybe they should have quotas too. Since then, the TV networks have kind of changed their minds about that point, because, of course, it struck them that that will suddenly just drive up the cost to them of what they would have to pay the independent producers. So now the argument is... Um, let's not have quotas because it will it will drive up the cost now I must admit I'm not sure it's a bad thing if it drives up the cost necessarily you know I I don't know too many kind of independent TV maker, producer-type companies in, in Australia who who are absolutely, you know, flush, big, flush with money at the moment. Um,
1: yeah, that's so, because it's always the big companies that get all the money from the networks because they've got proven track records and they're buying in formats. I don't know that driving up the costs would actually help the independents, would it?
5: Well, I suppose um, it's a market, isn't it? So mm-hmm. if the cost has gone up at the big places then and you're actually able to offer something that's good as an independent – and it helps people achieve their quotas. Then, absolutely, you would see them. Um, you know, you, you would see them jump in. You know, it's. I guess that's one of the things for the screen industry, isn't it? Over the years, and it used to be film rather than television. It's gone through years of boom and years of bust. You know, usually it was on tax perks for making you know, exploitation movies hmm. or whatever. NBA.
1: And that example was used to me just last week, where this person, a highly, a very senior figure in the industry, someone I very respect, said under 10BA, a lot of content got made, but a lot of it was not good.
5: Yeah, that's all true. And then, of course, the rules changed, the bus came along, and a lot of people lost their lost their jobs and weren't mm. able to actually, you know, make their long-term careers in the sector. So I think that is the big challenge is whatever policy it is, is something which actually helps build a long-term independent production sector. And that's mm. part of the
2: balance in this, I think, really, because we either want lots of people to work in the industry or we want, you know, companies to be able to make stuff on the cheap. And if we want people to do stuff on the cheap, no quotas. If we want lots of people to work in the industry, we need to encourage and develop an opportunity so that there is lots more stuff being made and lots more of that, that people can build careers. Um, And look, I've got to say, given just our little times of lean that we're seeing at the moment, we're not exactly seeing a whole bunch of high quality content come out now, are we?
1: No, we're not. All right. it was a tragic week for the staff at Spectrum News 13 in Florida, when a news crew deployed to cover the shooting death of a nine-year-old girl came under fire, quite literally. Bullets struck two journalists, fatally wounding one and critically wounding another. But the station continued to deliver the news to viewers, despite emotions filling out over on air.
4: A lot of people ask how we're doing. I'll be honest with you, not good, but we're doing the best we can as it hits us and um, it's not just a motion for a colleague but as a parent to say a nine-year-old's lost their life it's not good
1: well despite brilliant coverage At first, Spectrum News 13 made the decision to withhold the names of the two journalists who were shot. A day later, the station did finally announce the reporter killed was 24-year-old Dylan Lewis. Photographer Jesse Walden was the person critically injured. He is in a stable condition at last reports. Abby, news services are often the first to release information about who has been the target of a news event, who has been affected by it. This news station made the decision not to name their journalist for 24 hours or whatever it was. Do you think that's hypocritical, keeping information from the public?
3: I mean, without being familiar with this particular news service, so how they usually do things in the past, I do understand the level of hypocrisy, but I do also agree with their decision. So. They said they were withholding the names to ensure that everyone or their loved ones were notified first, um, which I do agree with and I actually think should be the standard practice. I think as media and media consumers we sometimes have this arrogance of entitlement and we think, well, you're the news, you tell us exactly what's happened and we just kind of forget the humanity of it all. So I actually, sure, yeah, I do think they made the right choice and I hope that kind of this serves as a reminder. But did they only
1: make the right choice because it affected them?
3: Possibly. But then I, I hope that this serves as a reminder to them and other news services that even when it's not a colleague, that is still a person who's, as I said, they didn't tell the they didn't release the names for um giving time to notify the family and things like that. And that applies to every victim or every person who's killed. And so yeah, I just hope that this kind of serves as a reminder to everyone in general that there is humanity behind these people and that the news isn't the be-all and end-all.
1: Robbo, when I was covering Beaconsfield for Sunrise, I was live on air when Richard Carlton had his heart attack and died. And one of the things that I found really bizarre in a way was some very famous current affairs hosts and news people holding up sheets around Richard Carlton, while people were performing CPR and stopping the cameras from shooting. Now, these are the same people that work for organisations that would film anyone else in any other job if it was a news event. If if those miners had been brought up and CPR was taking place where all the cameras could see them, they would have been shooting that. And I remember that specific day looking at this scene because we came off air I walked out of the AB truck and I looked at this scene unfolding and I just thought, this is so hypocritical.
0: Yes, well, there are are two great examples. One of them is, this is in the 90s when John Safran thought he would go through the rubbish of Ray Martin uh, and filmed it. And Ray... Ray did not like it.
4: The host of a current affair. The host
0: of a current affair at the time, uh, and did not like the idea of the cameras turning on him. The same thing happened with Tracy Grimshaw when she was filmed. You know, at her house, Um, she also didn't like it. I think she might even have um, talked about it on air a little bit, or or certainly in the papers. Uh, There is a massive hypocrisy with this. There is a race to get those names out there, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they're doing. The networks do not wait to find out if um, the. the, But
1: we know. other networks would have had the names of this journalist, and they played by the rules set by this station. Mm. and And I'm not even determining whether it's right or wrong not to release those names. But
0: no, no, what's good for the good? There's a level is not... of
1: protectionism.
0: No, no, and it, and it it doesn't work that way. So yes, Abby, I agree with you. I think in a perfect world, this is how it should be. Um, but uh, names fly thick and fast, and often networks don't wait to find out the exact. Details before they go to where because they have to be the first ones there. Yeah. How many times do we have to hear about, uh, you know, a little apology or, you know, a page 18 mm. apology down the bottom or, uh, you know, just before the sport break? Um, uh, last night we said this person's <laughs> name and we, it wasn't that person, but, uh, you know, yeah. seven News first. Um, I don't know why I said seven News then. I love seven, you know, you guys. That
1: could have been anyone. And, and look, <laughs> That's by I mean, the that way, an example, the I'd whole say. idea of yeah. first on is a great idea. I won't have a word said against oh it. My God. <laughs> it wouldn't happen on no, weekend I'm today, not. would it, Robbo?
0: No, Of course not. <laughs> that is a wonderful show, a wonderful program.
5: All right, Tim. What are your thoughts? Look, I suppose I find myself thinking, particularly about this 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 case we started to talk about. Um, you know, there've been times when I've worked for larger media organisations where, effectively, the the rules are: if you pick something up inside the building, you're you have a kind of the same sort of duty of confidentiality you would if a contact had told you something off the record you know on Sure, in your day job, Rob, there are things you pick up in the corridors that you can't talk about here because you owe someone a duty of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. It feels to me that that was probably what was going on in this case in that they had learned, you know, the the identity of that person through being part of the organisation, not through reporting. So to me, that's the thing that doesn't make it hypocritical. I think some of the other examples you've given, absolutely. But in this Mm -hmm. case, I think it was about... Uh, duty of care and duty of confidentiality for how they learned that information.
1: I'll pay that. I, I think that's fair enough. Mm. Just before we go uh, too far, we,
2: we have to acknowledge that it was an American network, not an Australian one, and they're under different broadcasting laws to us as far as what they do say and how they say it. I don't it, think there
1: are the any laws. <laughs> <laughs> there, there
2: are. They're thin and depends in you know, who owns you and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I actually think it's none of our business. When, when people are, unfortunately, and in America, it is far too frequent. Here, anywhere, it's none of our business who is shot, particularly the innocent victims of those kinds of tragedies. Mm. Um, once the families
1: find not how out, the media operates, I, I appreciate
2: that, Rob, and I think that that's gotten way out of control, because sure. they do now I rush agree. to get information. and uh, you know, man 45, you know, injured in a thing, a police incident died. I mean, horrible that's literally actually all we need to know mm. um we don't need to know that it was frank grimes from whatever you know something way bloody bloody blah um because it's not our business
3: that's what i know? meant with the entitlement thing i think we feel for some reason entitled to know these things and I, I agree it's not our business
0: i i get what you're both saying but let's let's think about the uh the two police officers who were shot in rural queensland Everyone wanted to know who they were, what their names were, what they looked yeah. like, and that was a genuine. Yeah, but why did everyone want to know? Although, because they always have. Think about newspapers. One hundred and fifty years. That ago. is we news. Made one hundred and fifty years everything. ago,
2: they weren't publishing that.
0: Oh, they were publishing some pretty – I would I would disagree with that. I would say that the names would be well, – we all know the, the names of the police officers who were killed by the Kelly gang. That was splashed across the newspapers when it happened. We've always wanted to know who they were. And I can bet you that 7, nine, ten, ABC, SBS were falling over themselves trying to find out exactly who the police sure. were, what their names were. We need pictures of them and we want to be the first one to show it because people want to see it. So wanting if you have two know, news programs and you go and one says, look, we're not going to tell you, I guarantee the majority of people will flick over to the other one who's saying, sure. we're going to tell you who it is.
2: Us and wanting I to agree know. with that. Us wanting to know is different to us having a right to know.
1: Yeah, but who determines what we have the right to know and what we don't? And don't answer that question. It's rhetorical because there is no answer. (laughs) All right, coming up, the new TV show that exposes a different side to multiculturalism in Australia. A rating shock for Channel 7. And we'll find out what everyone's been watching in the TV Binge Box.
3: Ready to pop the question?
1: Well, a new series is coming to SBS that has really caught my eye. The swap follows six students from one of Australia's biggest Islamic schools as they embark on a school swap with six students from mainstream high schools. As you can imagine, it's a clash of cultures. The series features the CEO of the Islamic College of Brisbane, Ali Qadri, who not only came up with the idea, but put his reputation and job on the line to bring the idea to life. Ali, welcome to TV Black Box.
4: Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me, mate. Look, uh, a
1: real pleasure. What were you hoping to achieve
4: with this series? Look, I think the main goal was to allow the students, our students, to get out of their comfort zone in Islamic school and allow the students from the other schools, which is Catholic and a state school, to get out of their comfort zone and interact with uh, other students, other Australians who are different than them. Well, I think you
1: certainly achieved that because we do see that clash of cultures. I I think one of the things that actually surprised me was um, some of the students at your school actually being a bit um, closed off. I didn't realise that they were very segregated from other sections of society.
4: Yeah, look, I mean, uh, being a minority in Australia with the climate of Islamophobia... and and mistrust a Mm. lot of parents choose to sort of protect their kids from that kind of environment and behaviors by sending them to an islamic school now while they're protected in these four walls against any kind of bias or discrimination what it also does is kind of uh, stops them from integrating or, or mingling with people who are different and and they kind of develop this this Uh, inability to interact in a respectful manner with those who are of different opinion, different faith. So, you know, if we could do this experiment with our students, then we'll give them the tools to go out in the workplace and out in the world with confidence in who they are and be able to engage with those who are different than them. Not
1: only did you have to face the backlash when you were filming this series because there's a scene in the very first episode and I've only seen episode one so far but mm-hmm. there's a scene in the first episode where you're looking at the feedback coming through that is and you're focusing on the negative feedback let, let's say um and and of course you've you've jumped that hurdle uh, but the next hurdle is when it goes out and how it's perceived by the public yeah. do you, are you worried about that
4: Look, I I think I always believe in some one thing and that is that if your intentions are right and you make actions with sincerity, the outcome or backlash doesn't matter. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if you believe that this is the right thing to do for the sake of the students at this school and for the sake of young Australians and for our country, there's always people who are going to disagree with what you do. And you'll find that in anything you do worth doing in life. So, you know, I don't believe in this idea that you have to make yourself a smaller target and not take risks for doing the right thing. I think do the right thing and things sort out by themselves.
1: And it is a fascinating series. I I actually can't wait to watch the rest of it because uh, in the second episode, the first episode, the um, Catholic and the state school kids come to your school. But in the second episode, judging by the teaser, your kids are going to go to these other schools. So yes. it's going to be a bit of an eye-opener, I can imagine. How did you get SBS on board with this series? And would this idea have happened if you didn't have SBS on board?
4: Look, I, I, don't, I, I certainly think that this idea wouldn't, wouldn't spread out as much as it is going to if SBS wasn't on board. And I think, look, I mean, if the charter of SBS is to bring uh, diversity or showcase the diversity and multiculturalism of our country, we also have to engage with difficult conversations of differences within this multicultural and diverse country. Because, you know, obviously not all Australians are the same. We come from 200 different countries. Obviously, we're not going to agree with each other on everything. And when we disagree, do we go into our silo and just hang around with people who are like? Or do we engage mm. with those who disagree with us and say, "Listen, you know what? We can disagree on these matters, but let's work together on things we can agree on and build this beautiful nation together." So I think it's it's um, it's it's great that SBS is on board, and we're lucky that you know SBS has taken this on. So this can then be a showcase, a model for other schools and other organisations and uh, different institutions in our country to go get out of their comfort zone, engage with somebody who's different and get better for it.
1: Well, it's fascinating because SBS have, they've won in my opinion uh, already because it's a great series. So from a television point of view, this is a great series. The next step is obviously what happens in the real world, you know, uh, with you and your students. And what what have you seen from the parents so far? Yes, we talked about some negativity, but have the people that were involved with the series, did they come out with a positive experience?
4: Oh, look, absolutely. I'll give you a couple of examples of of during the swap. I mean, you know, a lot of students who were selected were strategically selected with with, um, for their lack of interaction or engagement with somebody who's different from our school and from the other school. Now, uh, during the series, a couple of things happened. One in particular was when one of our, and it's a bit of a spoiler, so spoiler alert, (laughs) but uh, one of our students goes to uh, a Catholic girls' school And while she's there, she wanted to pray an afternoon prayer. And she goes to wash her hands and feet, because as as we do before we pray. Now, there's no facility in that school to do so. So she had to wash her feet in the sink. So she kind of lifts her feet up to wash in the sink. And the other girls are kind of eyeing her off, like, what are you doing? And her buddy who was partnered with her, who came to our school before that, Stood guard and gave them eyeballs back, defending her friend. Uh, you know, and and that was a fascinating experience for that for the student from our school, Leila, because before she went there, one of her anxiety was that people will judge her for who mm. she is and for wearing a hijab, and she'll be made uh, feel uncomfortable. But here, within within few weeks of friendship, uh, she's got this friend of hers standing guard, defending her, and it's a beautiful scene to show that you know they disagree with each other; they're not. Both of same religion or same cultures, but they defend each other's right to do what they want to do.
1: Oh, I love that! And, and seriously, that you can already in episode one see friendships forming, and and, and a genuine interest in what's happening. From the other side point of view and and learning those things, I, I think it's an excellent series. I wish it very good fortune. I congratulate you on what you're doing with this and because you have rolled the dice and taken a chance but you've gone big and I like you you sort of have this idea of go big or go home and I like that so congratulations the swap launches on March 8 on SBS and SBS on demand Ali Kadri, thank you so much for joining us on TV Blackbox
4: uh oh, thanks for having me here, Robert thank you very much.
1: Some big news today with Foxtel, well, not announcing, but seemingly have done the deal with HBO to continue their content for another few years. Uh, Mal, this is quite a big deal by all reports and keeps content going to Foxtel.
2: It, it sure does, and, and a great pick-up by you know, a bunch of people across the industry. Kevin uh, Kevin Perry ran a great story this morning on it on tvblackbox.com.au, really highlighting that for Foxtel, it was a bit make or break. There was lots of conversation that... If they don't make this deal, what happens to Foxtel without HBO and all of the content that they have run through them into, particularly places like Binge? Uh, and to have, you know, a new CEO come in for Warner Brothers Discovery after all of that chamois around the deal that's happened over in the States, this is a huge move because, A, it signals straight away the the rumoured deal, the current deal ends at the end of twenty three. The, the, as we understand it, the deal that's about to be signed runs for two years, so to the end of 25, which at least locks up for Foxtel some surety in that regard and really holds the wolves from the door around. As recently as, I think, 18 months, two years ago, HBO were making noises about wanting to drop their streaming service, HBO Max, into Australia, which would have been pretty dire in the drama stakes for Foxtel. Um, yeah, but
1: they've got financial issues at the moment. So then, you know, presumably not in a position to do it. And the Foxtel money just is good money for them at the moment.
2: Oh, at this point, it's Warner Brothers Discovery uh, being able to sort of push down some debt by going to Foxtel at a zero and Foxtel going, okay. That's the mould yeah. take on the on the scenario. I'm sure Tim's got a much more educated one. But well, uh, Tim, how
1: how important is this deal to Foxtel and to HBO? It's... Or,
5: or Warner Brothers Discovery? And it's important for different reasons. To Warner Brothers Discovery, it's mainly about getting their massive debt piled down. <laughs> the merger was, you know, such a, su- such a weight from that point of view. Um, obviously, it's important to Foxtel Group for the audience, but in particular, right now, the real importance to Foxtel Group is binge because it's got the, it's this growth story. The two growth stories are binge and KO. At some point. Certainly not flash. St- Certainly not flash, no, correct. stay um, on the ash but which is another
1: element we haven't talked about that flash of store, the editorial staff, as we reported on TV blackbox. And you know essentially it's the the, the technicians running flash now.
5: Mm. And, and, and flash was always niche now mm. that was the thing it was always niche it wasn't going to be the major audience driver but the reason that's so important right now is at some point they want to get a, or probably want to get away a float of Foxtel. at the moment it's sort of two thirds o- two thirds owned by news corp mm. one third owned by telstra um which will solve the we, we keep coming back to debt problems. The debt problem of Foxtel. Yeah. and in order to do that, they need a growth story and a future story. Yeah. And this extra, um, however long the deal is, and I, I, I'm, I'm not sure we can bank it till the end of 2025. Um, that, 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 that's still a bit murky. But certainly until 2025, just gives a bit more time for that sort of. F- IPO window to reopen yeah, and hopefully for them to potentially be able to then float Foxtel while they've got growth stories to talk right.
1: about. Okay. Well, there's been some interesting developments on the ratings front with Married at First Sight hitting 2 million viewers on really? total TV figures. Mulk, what is going on in the world of ratings at the moment? Uh, it's, it's a clear one-horse race in that mm.
2: nine off the back almost entirely of merit at First Sight uh, are bringing it home strong through this the, the, this first part of Q1. And it just seems like nothing is going to come close, like nothing is going to come close. In fact, the closest competition they have is on Sunday nights when the ABC are running Death in Paradise and Vera, and it's still nearly, you know, 60% of what Maps is doing. Uh, so it's, it's uh, in a commercial sense, nine are winning. The real interesting moves are what's happening at 7.30 back between 7 and 10, um, where obviously 7 leaning into their big nostalgia play with uh, Australian Idol is doing in any other week great business. You know, 400 and something thousand viewers pushing to 500 probably if you took maths out of the mar- the argument. That's Okay. But Survivor is just sliding in ahead of it every time. And the benefit to Which 10... Which has shocked
1: me. I picked it the other way around and mm. fair play to 10 and good luck to Survivor. I thought Idol would beat it. And uh, I have been well and truly proven wrong.
2: I think that Idol will probably taper a, a little better because now that they're in the pseudo live sense where they're doing the top 12 and vote people out and all that. And, and when
1: we say pseudo live, we mean recording the live shows the day before.
2: Yeah, live to tape. Uh, there's a Monday Aww. afternoon record for the Monday night. All of that sort of stuff um, to allow the voting to to have the impact that they want it to have, um, but yeah, it's not live like it's live like we thought it was live.
3: Yeah, that's if disappointing. You
2: follow all of my lives in all of that. Um, Did you not know that, Abby?
3: No, I didn't, and that's actually I I haven't had time to watch Australian Idol yet, but I was going to jump in at the live shows, and I get it's still mm. live in a sense, but I yeah, it same, actually it? being live was what really attracted me.
1: Recorded live in front of a studio audience. The day yeah. before,
3: um, and
2: what we're seeing is the difference is when we add in Total TV, um, ten are still getting a bigger uplift for for Australian Survivor over Idol. So mm-hmm. that in part speaks to the technology and the nature of what Total TV represents and the audience that's being attracted to Idol over Survivor. Uh, but it is like on one hand, like I said, in any normal week, if you tot- if maths didn't exist, seven are being really competitive. But because maths is being so bloody out of the ordinary, mm. and leaving nine and seven to struggle in a commercial sense, and sorry, ten and seven, and ten have got just like it's thirty to fifty thousand a night. It's just enough of an edge that gives them the oxygen for a second or third place. Um, it's pushing seven. Like last night, seven came third behind the ABC, behind the ABC. Yeah, like, it's, it's the, the numbers are all over-the-shop weird at the mm. moment when we start to do all of that sort of stuff.
5: There is one other factor, though, which I think is worth bearing in mind. This season of Survivor is really, oh, really oh, good. So good. That's so what you I just have to hearing. bear that in mind as well. Word of mouth mm. builds. Mm. Mm.
2: And tonight's episode is so great. Oh, my God. And vote Royston for Australian Idol.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the project has become a bland effect. That's the verdict from Ben G in an opinion piece in the SMH. He says the show now lacks star power after the departures of Peter Hellyer, Carrie Bickmore, and Lisa Wilkinson, who all left late last year. The new lineup of Sam Torton, Michael Hing, Hamish McDonald, Georgie Tunney, Wally Daly, and Sarah Harris has failed to impress Ben, who says that lineup has more of an anonymous look about it than Ten would prefer, and they are not stars. And I quote, the project aims to strike a balance between comedy and journalism, but it comes across as a show that can't decide whether it's A Current Affair, Sunrise or The Weekly. Hmm. And look, there's no doubt the project is in real trouble on the ratings front. Its ratings have been less than 10 News First on many occasions and on Thursday night, it wasn't even in the top 20. It did just 240,000. Now, to put this in some kind of list, it was behind the 5pm game shows, 10 News And even Nine's Afternoon News at 4.30 beat it.
2: We can't make those comparisons. You can't compare a 7 o'clock show to a 4.30 show. They're totally different audiences.
1: Hang on. In what world should a 4.30 show be outrating a 7pm primetime show? No, you absolutely can make... Well,
2: first of all, it's not a 7.30pm primetime show. It's a 7pm show, which is up against A Current Affair and Home and Away... And secondly, Seven's news at 4.30, as we have talked about, along with Nine's news at 4.30, do huge numbers, comparatively speaking.
1: I'm sorry. Then you have a major problem if a 4.30 afternoon service is beating something you've put in prime time at 7 o'clock. I think that absolutely is valid to talk the about. The chase regularly beats home and away. I know, and I think that's a story that I talk about all the time.
2: But it's only because it's got that last five-minute lead-in into the six o'clock news, which starts at 5.57
3: anyway. doesn't matter.
5: Oh, okay.
3: Is this the bickering you wanted, Tim? (laughs) <laughs>
5: this is exactly the bickering I was I was hoping for. That what I'm really enjoying We're is to the we can party see each it. other. I didn't realise that Rob would throw his hands up in the air in exasperation quite as much as I'm seeing. Her. <laughs> I'm very flamboyant.
1: <laughs> but here's the thing. Sure. Uh, well, you're going to make my head explode, my friend, <laughs> because I don't understand how the project at 7 o'clock rating less than an afternoon news service at 4.30 isn't a big deal to you. I'm not even using the 5 p.m. game shows if you say that it's all about the last five minutes. Fine, maybe it is. But being beaten by the 4.30 afternoon news is
2: significant. I'm not saying that it's not a concern for 10. The ratings performance of the project has long been a concern for 10. I think, But they haven't
1: been this bad.
2: I think making the comparison between different time slots on different networks and saying, but it came in 27th out of the top whatever. I mean, it's just, it's an arbitrary number at that point,
1: really. You know, I if, couldn't disagree more. I, I don't understand your thinking on this at all.
2: I mean, th- I think if I recall correctly, the chase, um, it, it, sorry, if we take a step back, Taskmaster and Gogglebox absolutely smashed Home and Away, um, but RBT beat Taskmaster. You know, like I it's think that's that
1: significant. Of,
2: but this is Thursday night ratings, and it's about to all change again because the NRL starts this week. Like, it's it's also this much in, like, an infinitesimal amount in the grandest ratings portion of how we see and understand what's happening on commercial television anyway.
1: Yeah, but, you but know? Look, here's, well, here's the thing. Because the project counts towards their prime traction. time share, and
2: 430 News doesn't.
1: News programs like the project, very don't really get numbers on catch-up. News programming gets the lowest catch-up numbers on yep. BVOD, right? Would you accept that? Yep, I 100% I, I, feel like, I, I feel like we've gone off on a tangent because all I was doing was illustrating... What, us?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Never. Tim,
5: save us, Tim Kenobi. You're our yeah, only can hope. I, can I maybe come in with something maybe slightly more to the point? Um, look, <laughs> Please uh, do. One, one of the arguments I think I'd make is if you watch the show... It doesn't really work at the moment, but no. if you think back to that first iteration of the seven thirty p.m. project, mm, um, 7 it took a long PM. time to find its feet. This is a brand new team finding their feet, so I think you know you you do you know I watched Michael Heng the other night, and I, I had this horrible flashback to once or twice being a pundit on things like the morning show, where mm. it, it, the other pundit. On a few times with Joe Hildebrand, who's just faster and funnier than me. <laughs> and you just always struggle to just come in. And I can just see that dynamic mm. happening. You know, it, it's people finding their feet. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that's going to take some time. But you can't do that with a show that's been on air for so long.
2: But uh, without making a confluence sort of problem here even bigger. The project suffers from the same problems that the Today Show, that Sunrise suffer from, in that they are long-term multi-day shows every week, and you cannot ease someone in and all of a sudden have, and here we fixed it. The audience have to get used to the new setup and to the new people and all of the new faces. Sarah Arbo is still finding her feet and the people on the Today Show in there shifting around and the audience are going, yes. uh, still working out if we like Let's
1: view away from
2: Breakfast TV for the moment. Sure, but I would offer the same comparison to the project. Now, Waleed is the long sta- longest standing person on that panel now um and to have sarah new um uh, georgie has been filling in but new in the same way that sarah's been there um sam and michael filling in but also new all of yes, that sort but of it's stuff it's a pig
1: wearing different lipstick it's still the same shit served up daily
3: i've been trying to get back into the project because i used to love it my family and i used to watch it together i went to go see tapings of it i really mm-hmm. really liked it and i was curious to see what it was like now and It is, it's just, it's the same show with different hosts, fine. But I just think it's just lost its shine. It's lost its novelty a little bit. It's been on for so long now. I just. (sighs) I think we've tainted. just seen it all. I, I, I still like it. I still enjoy it. But I just think for a lot of people, the novelty of it's worn off and there's just so many other options. that
2: It's got to get its mojo back. If it wants yeah. to make a real difference and build its ratings, it's got to find the thing that absolutely set it apart when people would tune in when it was Charlie and Carrie and Husey.
1: But mm. ca- can we actually just acknowledge the elephant in the room? Whether you liked it or not, when Craig Campbell was running it, the show did much better. And the fact is, when the EP changed, and I'm not having a go at anyone who's working on that production at the moment. Except the EP. But the point is, well, the difference is Craig Campbell created the show. But the show
3: itself is still very similar. When you watch the two things back to back, it is still, the segments are all still very similar. If
1: you go back to 2014... Yeah, yeah. At, at, when Craig Campbell was still doing it, it's a very different show, it's I not.
3: feel.
2: It's really not. And maybe okay. that's some of the problem, though, Abby, that the segments are still. Yeah, that's too what I mean. That's why similar. it's just,
3: it's worn out a little bit. But, but
1: if you look at the first, okay, here's how I'll put it. A good executive producer always evolves a show. Mm-hmm. So if you looked back at Craig Campbell's last episode and his first episode when it was the 7 p.m. project, they mm. are different shows. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the last episode of Craig Campbell and today, how different is it? Because are the people who've taken over from him painting by numbers and filling in the rundown as how he set it?
3: I think probably, yeah.
0: And I, Look, I've talked about this before about Australian television many times in this program, and the fact is it has lost its edge in the way of things can go wrong and that's okay. Things don't need to be as polished. When people see mm. real moments happening with real people, there is uh, something that is very likable about that. Um, if anything, I think it's possibly too polished. Mm. Um it, and, and that kind of loses any kind of spontaneity. And that goes across everything. I've said that about weekend. Um, I will never say about weekend today. I meant today show, uh, sunrise, <laughs> um, the project. It's, just, it's, it's all just a little bit too much. What I loved today was um, the fire alarm going off at the Today show. That, that, that was really good stuff. That gave some good mm. clips. It got some news. Yeah. Um, I would suggest that the project would do everything they could to edit that out. Mm. They would not let that go to air. If they had five minutes, they'd quickly re would quickly they want to be it. seen
1: as being too professional.
0: Well, it's too... It, but you, you miss that wonderful too thing that used to make Aussie TV just something that you yeah. would watch because anything could happen. If we turn on these shows mostly, we know what's going to happen because <laughs> it is so polished.
1: Now, before we move on, talking about the project, Abby, Abby you are in New Zealand mm. and you actually went and visited the New Zealand set of the project.
3: I did. So I went and watched their taping tonight, and it was very similar, but the biggest difference being that it's only 30 minutes, which I didn't realise. And this doesn't entirely help Robbo's problem with it being very produced because the fact that it's 30 minutes, it is super, super tight, so it is still that same, like, very polished, very professional thing as the Australian project as well. But They've I They've also really got Kiwi accents. They do, that is a bit different as well. But no, I really liked it being 30 minutes. It was so just, it was just like a little bite size. It was very, very quick, moved on very quickly, nothing. Yeah, I really liked it. I think maybe that's something the Australian project should consider.
1: Does it
5: rate?
3: It actually does I tried doing a bit of research on the ratings i don 't know what the equivalent of oztem is in is in New Zealand, so i 'm not hundred percent sure, but speaking to the people there, they are very happy with how it 's performing essentially, and that wasn't them giving <laughs> bullshit either, but they were it, they said its it 's done really well for the station that it 's on
2: I think the okay. uh, the rating system in New Zealand is called Mavis, and she lives oh. next door.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mavis, what are you watching? Project. I'm watching the project, Thank you, Mavis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time to open the TV binge box and find out what everyone's been watching. Robbo, why don't you kick us off?
0: Okay, so I don't know how to really broach this. It's on Stan. Two shows, Robbo. It's a documentary. I've just telling the first one. He's getting to the point
1: that he watched last week, mate. What does it Peterson.
0: feel like? Oh, oh, I do apologise. Okay, so I've been watching a show on Stan. It's a, it's a documentary. Um, the title is um, My Massive, and I know we're a family oh, show. My Massive Cock. I th- I, I've said words like that before and I get in trouble for swearing. Yes. <laughs> it's the name of the show. The documentary you can do is called My Massive Cock. Um, is it about a rooster? Yeah, it, it is. It's about, a, it's, <laughs> it's about a few prize roosters that... um, um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what they're trying to do, you know, I think they, they, it, it's it's a good show that they they I think missed the mark a little bit because um, we've got guys here who are talking about something that women have had to put up with forever and being mm. objectified um, mm. and being you know reduced to an object, Amen. and we've got these guys who are saying, well, that's what's happening to us. Weirdly, it just comes across as a little bit. Um, just shut up, mate. Maybe it's because I'm envious. I don't know. I There's some subconscious bias. Is that what you're
1: saying? Yeah, but, th- but, but there is one Someone told me about this job, Robbo, this, this show, Robbo, I mean, yeah. and s- this guy lost a job because they thought he had an erection yes. during the interview.
0: Yes, yes. So, th- th- yes, there are a few people who uh, legitimately, I feel, are... Uh, there it is an issue for them and it's actually quite interesting in those parts when you get to the other guys who were like oh do you know it's just so hard to get a relationship because people see it and then they just don't want to be with me and they just ghost me and blah 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 well women have put up with that for for a long time but yes they have cast it well enough where there are some people where um they don't have any issues in it, about it in that fact, but absolutely, the guy lost a job because they thought he was being absolutely inappropriate and had an erection, and, and he didn't. And so Robo, he was just really very excited about the job. Are you just
2: there. are you just dirty because you got edited out?
0: Um, I wouldn't have been edited into that show. Let me tell you, I don't <laughs> I don't fit the brief. I'll tell you right now. Uh, hey! Really good show, really good show, um, and, and give it a watch. Um and, th- and that was interesting. I've I've absolutely dropped out of maths. Too long, too much. Can't do it. Um, so I'm gonna stick with my massive All right, Abby, what have you been watching?
3: Um, I have not watched a single episode of television this week because I had to replan an entire wedding in a week. Um, but I have Congratulations, downloaded Zealand, no less. Thank you. Yeah, in New Zealand the Hawks Bay was flooded, it was a whole thing. Um but I have downloaded the past week worth of math weeks Great. worth of maths to watch on the plane home tomorrow, so I'm worth very it, excited Worth about it, worth it, worth it.
1: I don't know how you're going to catch up. Like, What's it's a two-hour flight from New
3: Zealand? It's three. That's like two and, uh, and a half episodes. So that's It'll one episode of maths. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know Is if I should say this for legal reasons, but I no longer watch it online now because I can't deal with the ads. Mm. So That cuts Ooh. out a lot of time Sneak when speak. you don't have the ads. Oh, Mr. me,
0: mm. sorry. Sorry, well, Mr.
3: Sneak I Well,
1: I've got to say I... Welcome to the return of Gogglebox this week on Lifestyle. Yes. And Ten, oh. And it was a cracker of an episode to launch love it, the love season it, love it. with. Just great. And I've got to say, I really enjoy the weekly uh, with Charlie Pickering on ABC Hang on. On iView. Hang who, who are you and what happened to Rob? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? It's very woke. The
2: wokest show on the ABC <laughs> and you're saying that you like it. The
1: Wokers show the on woken. Australian television. Look at these no, no, police, right. I don't mind I don't police mind the finger, and the waggling <laughs> finger. I don't, I don't mind sensible young people. I don't mind sensible comedy and, and sensible wokeness. It's Uh-oh. when you go too <clears throat> far to the extreme
0: oh, Grandad. That's when I start You just uh, see you sensible uh, and comedy, granddad. <laughs> I like faulty
2: towers. I do. <laughs> Why can't John Cleese say what he wants when he wants to
1: because he's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Burrows, what have you been watching. You get two shows, my friend. Where's Kingswood Country?
5: (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, I'll I'll start with what I didn't watch then, and hopefully Mm. that can sneak in one extra that way. I got so (laughs) confused. I apologise if you've talked about this before on TV Black Box. I missed the episode. The fact that there are two poker faces on Stan at the moment. Confusing much? Very confusing. Completely confusing. Almost as much. I'd have felt almost as much of an idiot as if I'd watched the wrong episode of The Bridge. But who would do that? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so now i've been i've been going quite old school Shirts um, and
2: scores. Uh,
5: too <laughs> i finally i finally me. discovered that the show ozark which sounded kind of foreign yes. to me so i thought oh foreign language thing oh, i won't bother yeah, is I'm actually like the not same. that at all it's a brilliant drama oh, so, so really um, i've been loving hurting. that brilliant and um I'm also super excited. I've, I've 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 got a flight coming up to Sydney from Tasmania in the next few days, uh, so, so I'm hoping to get else. through an episode or two of the uh, of the new drive <laughs> to survive, which right. I'm super looking forward to. Are those planes yeah.
1: from Tassie like the old Flintstone cars, where everyone's pedalling <laughs> the big wings? <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> that 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 that's some serious Taswegian bias. I, <laughs> I can't let Watch that yet, I'll
1: be cancelled. I'll be cancelled. <laughs> they have to encourage people from New Zealand to catch
2: planes by making sure that their bags get frequent fly points as well when they go seven times around the nation before landing in Sydney before, before they get them. there.
1: Yeah, um, that's a that's a good political topical point. Well done, Mark. Uh, what have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I, clearly not the weekly. um I have been watching the weekly, but that's beside the point. I uh that's one. look, keep no, it's not. That is only acknowledge you Watch the thing that someone else mentioned. I made not. Shut up. Oh, You're the worst. Nicely done. Really quick point of order. Um I listen to every minute of this bloody podcast, <laughs> especially when I'm not on it, and I did not appreciate the slight at the end of last week's episode. What, suggesting what do you that mean? Well, just make fun of Malk because he's not here and, and he's probably not listening anyway. Fuck right off, McDonald. Yeah,
1: that was my tester to see if you were listening. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> What's I, going I knew on? you wouldn't let it go. <laughs>
2: uh, I covered a lot of ground in this week's TV Binge Box, which I commend to you. There's lots mm. to uh, have a listen to and check out there. I did want to talk about Longer one of those shows. Longer than an shows. episode
1: of Maths, people.
2: <laughs> I did want to talk about one of those shows. It comes in under 30 minutes, smart ass. <laughs> it's quicker than this show. Um the benefit of hosting it yourself. Yeah. Uh, One of those shows I wanted to talk about is on Channel 7 tomorrow night at 7:30. It's called We Interrupt This Broadcast and it <gasps> is the return of sketch comedy to our primetime commercial televisions and I think I really liked it. It um, Malk, suffers can from I, Can
1: I jump in and please. have a quick discussion with you about this? Oh, can, can I really we, liked it. I, I really liked it too. Mm. I said, I think I
2: really liked it.
1: Well, I, I laughed. Yep. So I had laugh out loud moments. My concern is it's all TV parody. Mm-hmm. Where does it go from here? There's no political commentary. There is no establishment of unique characters. For example, mm-hmm. if you think about Fast Forward and the comedy com- company and all those kind of things, <laughs> they didn't just parody.
2: <laughs> almost him. didn't say company, but
1: that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the comedy <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Comedy Kingswood company. company. <laughs> um, the, the things that those shows did is yes. that they had, they created unique characters. Mm-hmm. We interrupt this broadcast. Hasn't done that, and I wonder how stale it will get if the only thing it does is parodies of TV shows yeah, and movies. I-
2: And I think that's part of the challenge for it. However, I will offer that because we have, you know, scripted reality up the wazoo and they are making fun of some of that, there is the capacity to develop some characters in some of those contexts. I look at their MasterChef ripoff and the three, which they didn't, I think, give too much opportunity to develop character in, but their three judge, you know, characters could be opened up and could be developed a little more. Um, I thought that, while you're right, Rob, they can't get too deep into political parody or or comedy in that regard. I thought that their flashback... Well,
1: they can, they just didn't.
2: I I don't know that they can unless they're doing something like Q&A or they're doing something like Insiders, you know, sticking with their theme of doing television show parodies. So
1: Um, Well, that's a rule they've placed on themselves then. Oh,
2: that's me making up and speaking into it, Rob. I I haven't been in their writer's room or spoken to their EP, so I can't say that that's the case. I did think that their play school... Um, parody was really good and really sharp. And I particularly (laughs) love the performance of Christy Whelan Brown in that. Um, and, and she was very good. Oh, mate, she's a great comedic performer. You look at the cast, they are all great comedic performers. And I think that. The benefit of something like We Interrupt This Broadcast is it just gets better as they work together more and write scripts together and perform and Mm. start to see, well, you know, Christy can do this or Bridie can do that or Greg can do this kind of character and they can open that stuff up and, you know, really, really kind of flesh it out a bit more. As a first episode, I would say it's more hit than miss, but it was a slim percentage between the two. Uh, And given how brutal the audience is, that doesn't bode well for episode two i'm going to watch episode two i think it's definitely worth it but i, I commend it to everyone to watch we interrupt this broadcast channel 7 7 30 tuesday nights uh, i think there's eight or ten episodes um it's definitely worth worth a look you might find the bits that i didn't find funny funny and vice versa um the other thing that i am super stoked that i will only make reference to because i do not want to spoil an ounce of it i've seen the first episode of ted lasso season three Hmm. It's awesome.
3: Exactly.
1: I haven't seen episode one of season one. That's Holy amazing. shit, Rob!
0: I haven't seen it at all. So
2: You're good. the second person. It is the reason to have an Apple TV Plus subscription. Mm. And then once I don't you get have in an
1: there, Apple TV Plus. Subscription.
2: But then once you get in there, there is a raft of incredible drama, mm. comedy, documentary. There's heaps of stuff in that library now. It is well worth the subscription. Um, mm. Ted Lasso is just the best hook to get you in there. Uh, I've got too many other services. The new season is excellent. I cannot wait to Mm. see
1: more of it. Thank you, Malk. Appreciate that. And that brings us to the end of TV Black Box for another week. Tim Burrows, thank you so much for joining us. You have been an absolute delight and you didn't have to break us up almost once, but not really.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, no, it was uh, always a pleasure and never a chore.
1: (laughs) Malk, Robbo, Abby, we will see you next week. Don't forget, for all the latest news, go to tvblackbox.com.au and you might as well pay Unmade a visit as well. Unmade.com.au It's a great newsletter. Sign up up for the daily newsletter lots of great analysis from tim mm. and it's it's really worth for any television fan go and have a look at unmade highly it's really really good yeah highly recommend it thank you tim thank you my pleasure